So anyways, uh, we've been in a series going through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, just kind of making our way through this. And um, we had gone through a little series within that, chapter 3, looking at uh, the bigger question. Oh, if you guys need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to get you guys in the Bible. Um, looking at really the, uh, the, the roles that Peter is inviting people to live out and fulfill as followers of Jesus, recognizing that in a culture, in a society that for the most part is hostile towards the claims of Jesus, the big question for the people that are in Peter's audience is how does one live faithfully to God in spite of a culture that's constantly pushing against them in negative respects? And realizing that each follower of Jesus within that church community has various roles in society. Some of them are business owners. Some of them work for business owners. Some of them are husbands, wives, uh, children, pastors, people that have different roles. And Peter actually addresses all of these uh, variety of roles within the culture. And really, in short, what we've been saying all along, that Peter is consistently summoning them to do one thing well. And that's to do good, to live good. And the big question oftentimes that keeps coming back to us is, what does goodness look like? What does it really look like to embody good? And this is what I really want to focus on today. Again, like I said, we're just going to be brief today in the message. I'll tell you why right now. Um, is We're actually going to just create some space to worship God. And I'll tell you why we're going to do that, because it plays a little bit into the message. And uh, for two reasons. Number one is... Uh, plays into the teaching, and it'll make sense once I get there. Then secondly is uh, Dan and Carrie, who led worship for us. Uh, we want to officially pray for them. Today is actually their first day together playing worship as our official worship leaders. So we're excited to actually officially pray them in into this role. Um, they have been... Dan has been leading worship for us periodically for the past several months, once a month or so, something like that. Uh, it's been kind of a long journey for us. Um, we've kind of shared this with you guys for the past several months. Uh, but today we want to just officially pray over them. And then my thought would be to just give the space over to them and let them kind of lead us as a community to just engage with God's presence and to worship the Lord, to look to God as the one who transforms and changes us as people that are to be shaping our lives according to his likeness and to his image. So with that being said, what I want to do right now is I want to just pray, then I will read a passage that we will be looking at here this morning in line with First Peter, and then we'll just uh, have Dan and Carrie come on up, we'll pray for them, and then we'll just create some space just to respond to God in worship. Jesus, right now, we thank you for your presence that's in this place. We thank you, God, that your presence is always in this place as well as in this world, always. But God, we admit, we confess even, that we're so oftentimes unaware of it. And God, we ask you right now that you would just open our eyes to who you are, to what you're bringing forth, and how you want to transform us, and how you want to bring us into that. So God, right now, we just commit this time in your hands. We pray that you would just have your way in all these things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. I just want to read First Peter chapter 3, verse 8, um, as we kind of pick up in the story or in the writings of Peter. Um, I'll read it. You can follow along. I have it up on the screen. It says this, First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It's kind of a summarizing type of a statement um, that Peter does, which is kind of interesting. You know he's a really good preacher because he says, finally, he's got two more chapters. Actually, three more chapters to go, right? This is like halfway in between his entire sermon. He's like, finally, right? And he's got three more chapters to keep finalizing on. So he says, finally... All of you, how many of you? All of you, to whoever it is that he's writing, to whoever it is that he has ears 
to hear, to whoever it is that is a follower of Jesus, that wants to be faithful to Jesus, this incorporates all of us. To all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is a finalizing statement. Again, he's writing to people that are trying to navigate this fulcrum of faithfulness to Jesus in contrast with a constantly hostile culture around them, as well as encouraging them, do good. Do good to those that are even doing evil against you. Do good to those that are saying negative things, that are doing evil types of things. Do good is his continual refrain over and over and over again. And now he kind of creates a sort of finalizing type of a statement. Uh, what's really fascinating about a handful of words that are used, that he uses here in this statement, uh, when he says be of or have unity of mind, that's in the ESV. Some of your translations might say be in harmony with one another. I think that's an actual more accurate translation because the word that he uses there literally means that, to have harmony, to live in a harmonizing way with other people. This is the exact opposite, by the way, of dissonance or disharmony. Um, I don't need to probe too deep and ask the question, is there a lot of disharmony in the church today, in our world today? Of course, the answer is yes. Sadly, in the church, yes. Disharmony over what? I don't even go down, I don't even go down the list. You can already immediately begin to surmise what are the things that, that create disharmony amongst God's people. But again, Peter's writing saying, look, this is not how the church is to be reflective. This is not how we rightly reflect the character and the nature of God by way of viciously attacking or arrogantly shoving truths or facts or data down another person's throat or forcing someone into another person's uh, objective or uh, subjective, I should say, opinion or dis, uh, this understanding as to how they think they should look like. Peter is basically saying our aim ultimately is to become like Jesus. And that should be the thing that unites us, that we agree upon. I've said this before, that one thing that's fascinating about the uh, disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, those who Jesus calls to become followers or apostles, every one of them were so vastly different from each other. And I mean, the fact is that many of them had radically differing opinions, even on politics. I'm not going to go down that pathway, kind of looking deep into that in terms of the apostles. But we can tend to look at biblical stories like that and be like, well, that's them and that's them. That's not us. The, the Bible doesn't know or can't anticipate the types of challenges that we face today. Of course it can. It's the same stuff. I mean, same polarizing opinions over politics, same polarizing opinions over anything is the same story that keeps going on and on. And Peter's summarizing statement is finally be in harmony with each other. Not dissonance. Have uh, sympathy is the word that he uses next. Uh, it's literally the word compassion. Compassion. Suffer alongside each other. The big idea here is recognizing that in this world, there are those that are going to be suffering. There are those that are going to be hurting. Compassion means to come alongside those that are in a state of hurt and suffer alongside well with them. Then he goes on to say, brother love, brotherly love, have brotherly love. The big idea here is that this is the number one way in which the New Testament writers describe the type of affection or relationship that Christians have with each other. Do you realize, you realize, I have far more in common with a follower of Jesus who lives in Iran 
than I do with somebody that might even be of the same political persuasion with me who's not a Christian in my same city. Think about that. This is, this is the image. This is the picture that Peter's saying is that have brotherly love. And if we cannot, if we do not, if we refuse to, then we have to take a separate look at what's going on in our heart. What's causing our heart to be filled with dissonance? What's causing it to be influenced in a way that is in opposition to the ways of Jesus? And more importantly, what does it mean to go back to that harmonizing effect of Jesus? Then he goes on to say, have a tender heart. Have a humble mind. This is the exact opposite of TV news anchors today. This is the exact opposite of people that want to moralize you for your misconduct, your bad behavior, based upon their understanding, whatever it is, good behavior is. This, is. this is an entirely different way of saying, look, we are all broken, sin-filled people that Jesus has shown grace and kindness to and has welcomed us to the table. So the question then arises naturally, or should at least arise within your mind, or at least some degree of curiosity, how do we then respond in such a way of knowing that God has accepted and loved us consistently? That should humble us and remove a degree, that degree of swagger or bravado or arrogance that oftentimes we want to then go out and find somebody who is not meeting our standards and then berate them. It's the exact opposite of that. So again, the point that I'm just trying to say is that this is what Peter's inviting us into. And lastly, I just want to finish with a final thought. Because in a lot of ways, um, the New Testament writers had similar parallel statements. I'll I'll read you Paul, the apostles. This is in Philippians chapter 2. Most of you guys are probably familiar with this. Um, If not, um, I I guarantee your your grandma's probably got a a coffee cup with this scripture on it or something hanging on a wall somewhere that says this. This is what it says. First Peter, or Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Be of the same mind, having the same love, being full of cord, do nothing from selfish ambition, in conceit or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is Paul's way of kind of summarizing similar idea. This is the attitude of Jesus. Not just the attitude of Jesus. This is Jesus. This is how Jesus acts. This is who Jesus is. Uh, I think the summons of Peter, as well as Paul, as well as all the other New Testament writers, is not just simply to do certain religious traits or activities or actions, but to become a type of person that embodies these naturally. And I think we'd all agree that there's a difference between someone that basically acts humble and truly is humble. You could be somebody that by nature... You are just simply one that kind of has a, has a mellow personality. Someone could look at you and be like, whoa, they're full of harmony. M- maybe, maybe, but maybe inwardly uh, or outwardly they look like they're all kind of calm and at peace and at harmony and at one with everyone. But internally they just are filled with vileness and anger and hatred, right? We all, we've all played that part, I'm sure. I mean, there's occasions where, you know, you bite your tongue at work because you're like, I don't want to tell the boss what I really think of him because I will get fired. So you bite your tongue. You come across amiable, though you're really not. Um, that, that's playing a part. Peter's invitation is to become the type of person that is truly humble, that truly seeks to live in harmony with 
other people. And I think the only way that we do that is by letting Jesus, who's the prince of all this, the king of all of this, begin to really truly transform our hearts. In other words, we need a glimpse of Jesus. And I want to just finish with a couple thoughts. That transformation actually happens in two ways. Number one, it comes by way of looking to Jesus and ultimately being remade by him. And then secondly, living like Jesus. In other words, trusting Jesus to make good on the promises that he invites us into. Um, I like to think of it in the context of where Jesus, say, for example, goes to someone who's paralyzed. He says, arise, take up your bed and walk. That doesn't make any sense unless Jesus is actually inviting him to step into whatever it is that Jesus is inviting him to do. In other words, for that person to discover the gift that Jesus was giving him, he actually had to step into it, arise, stand up, which, again, makes no sense if you're paralyzed, take up something, which, again, doesn't make any sense if you're paralyzed and you can't pick things up, and do something. So there's a, there's, a, there's a participation in which we are summoned to trust God. But what I really want to focus on is just this first thing of looking to Jesus. And I want to read a passage, and I'm going to have Dan and Carrie come on up. I want to pray over it, and then we're just going to have some time to sing. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. I want to read this. And then I want to just close with some thoughts and have these guys come on up, and we'll transition. Uh, Paul the Apostle says this. Even today when Moses is read, his writings, uh, their hearts are covered with a veil so that they do not understand. But I want you to think about this. Uh, What he's saying is that there are people that they can read the Bible over and over and over again, but they just don't get it. It's like a veil is over their eyes. They can hear about Jesus. They can even know certain data and trivia about the life of Jesus, but their hearts are not strangely warmed, if you want to think of it that way, affected, empowered, enamored. When they think of Jesus, they they don't look at Jesus as an absolute piece of beauty, like an art piece. They just see him as abstract art. It doesn't make any sense. They don't look at him as this harmonizing reality. They look at him as just like, I don't know, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Kind of dissonance. So he's saying that there are people that can read Moses' writings, read the Bible, and just not get it. It's like a veil is over their eyes. But here's what he says. But whoever turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. There's good news for all of us. Because if for you right now, Jesus is nothing more than an abstract piece of art that doesn't make any sense to you. Right now, today, something can transition. There's a pivot that could happen that as you turn to Jesus... And ask him, Lord, reveal to me. Show me the colors, the beauty of who you are. He says that veil will be removed. God will open the eyes of your heart, if you would, and show you who he is. He goes on to say, verse 17, But the, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of those who have had the veil removed can see, reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is where transformation happens. As we turn to Jesus, that veil is removed. We begin to see Jesus for who he is. In other words, all glorious. I say this all the time. He's not just simply functional, though he is extremely functional. He's also beautiful. He's glorious. He invites us into that beauty. There's something about beauty that arrests us. I don't need to tell you that we live in a world today that is absolutely obsessed with itself. They actually say the Western pundits that are constantly studying sociological trends within our Western world, they say that self-worship is the world's fastest 
growing religion. I agree with that. Narcissism is, is literally the worst pandemic of our moment. The fact is, is that narcissism, solo artists, self-worship, ultimately never carry us on into any length or longevity or never really truly gives us hope because we are made as individual selves to reflect the glorious self of Jesus. And when we don't do that, we're just stuck in this black hole, this dead end, this cul-de-sac that never offers any true life. However, Jesus offers to break us out of that narcissistic trap and to give us life. By revealing us himself. So right now, I want to just transition, spend some time singing. Dan, Carey, I want you guys to come on up. I want to pray for you guys. Um, and uh, if there's anybody else here that would like to join, pray. Mike, come on down. Parents, Carrie's dad, why don't you, mom, why don't you guys come on down. Anybody else that would like to come on down and just kind of lay hands on these guys, pray for them. I'd love to just pray for them. My lovely wife is going to come on down. Come on, Josh. All right. So this is Dan and Carrie. If you guys have never met them, I want to pray for these guys. And if you guys would like to maybe lift out your hands, just the way of just saying we support you guys, we're with you. Uh, we believe that God has a, a fresh new uh, chapter for our church to step into, a new destiny, if you would, without sounding over, overly dramatic, that God wants to do something fresh and new. And this is the beginning of it. This is the beginning of that chapter. So I'm going to pray for these guys. If you'd like to pray along with me, just go ahead and uh, bow your heads and let's pray. Jesus. Uh, we invite your, your power right now just to move in good ways over both Dan and Carrie's life as they lead our church community into this new chapter. God, empower them, use them mightily in this church to show us Jesus through song, through music, through the lyrics. God, we thank you for the gift of music that allows us to be able to have our affections stirred and moved. We thank you for the power that music creates. So God, use these guys in the life of our church family, in the life of the Central Coast, to bring renewal, to release just the move, God, that we, we believe that you want to do. We're hungry, Lord, for a fresh move of God. We're hungry to come out of our isolation and out of our place of being unknown and out of our secrets that we oftentimes are clothed in shame as a result of. God, we're ready just to come clean with you, to worship you with open arms, to give you, Lord, just the glory that's due to your name. So really, God, we just we want to celebrate you in this new work that you're beginning here. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.